Wardrobes. They house clothes, both old and new. But what are the stories woven into those fabrics? What memories does each piece of clothing hold? I'm reluctant, despite its worn edges, <laughs> to give it away. Step with me through the wardrobes of my family and friends to trace the threads of the past in the threads hanging in our wardrobes today. <laughs> wow, I loved that. This started a long, long time ago. So that's a true story then? So let me take you from the study to the bedroom. Perfect. <laughs> and uh, so just come through here. Today I'm with my dad at the house where he lives with his partner. It's not too far from where my great aunt lives and also not too far from the sea. But instead of seagulls this time, as you could hear at my great aunt's house, which you may have heard in a previous episode, instead here out in the garden, you get this. So we make our way upstairs to the wardrobe where Dad keeps the piece of clothing he's going to talk about today. Oh, has a nice and breeze from the window. Just hanging up uh, on the uh, on the cupboard door. Dad's always had a great dress sense and taken much pride in his appearance. Show you there and open it. This stretches to interior decorating, which he has a special flair for. I have to say. Oh, beautiful! That's where I like to keep it. Okay, so what item of clothing do we have here then? Well, I didn't have to think twice about this because what I'm uh, holding up for you right now um, is a Shanghai Tang jacket. And if you're not familiar with this Asian brand, um, it is in the class of something like Prada, for example. Oh, I see. Um, and um, you know, perhaps not quite so expensive, but if for something uh, in my uh, bracket, um, it was certainly uh, something I had to think about before I bought it. Um, <laughs> I had actually been uh, looking at this jacket for some time and couldn't bring my middle class <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, psyche to accept that I should pay so much uh, for an item like this. Oh, do describe it for us because it's really beautiful on the inside especially. Well, um, the thing about Shanghai Tang is that everything is made with absolute quality uh, materials and, uh, and finish. And uh, this is actually a velvet, a black velvet jacket. And um, it also came in a number of other colours, red wine, for example. And uh, it took me a long time to decide, but I, I went for the black. And so you've got black velvet on the outside. Uh, and more importantly, the beautiful silk uh, lining on the inside of the jacket, which has um, a lovely uh, a Chinese uh, a design um, that, that uh, is very traditional and uh, that you would uh, see on a lot of different types of um, Chinese uh, clothing. And they've, what they've done is they've taken a number of um, uh, patterns in green and pink and black, uh, not pink, sorry, purple, and um, combined these uh, together um, to give it a, a really rather extraordinary look so that when your jacket flaps open, um, people see uh, that design and of course it attracts attention, which is something I rather like. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me the story behind the, the jacket. What's your memory associated with it? Well, it has a huge amount of significance for me because firstly, my very first job ever was in Hong Kong. So if you can imagine, I was uh, young, I was a bachelor 
and um, very excited about going to somewhere like Hong Kong um, and um, earning quite a lot of money working for a bank and feeling like I really was on the uh, first rung of the ladder of my career, properly so. And uh, But items like this were still things that I would have regarded then as not something to, to, uh, uh, um, to make an expense of. Um, so imagine now that we roll forward uh, 35 years and I'm a consultant, I'm traveling around the world, and one of the places that I go to regularly every year is Hong Kong. And Shanghai Tang, of course, as you might expect, has its own shop in Hong Kong uh, International Airport. And uh, the British Airways gate, uh, the escalators down to where the British Airways gate is normally situated, goes right past the Shanghai Tang shop. <laughs> and every time I made a trip, I would see this jacket or its red wine equivalent hanging in the window. Mm-hmm. And um, I was besotted with it. And every time I got on the, the airplane, I think to myself, I should have bought it. You know, it, it won't be in uh, the window next year and they'll have moved on and uh, I won't even be able to get uh, a jacket like this. I should explain... But- Dad and I talked a bit more about the jacket and some of the more recent memories that he associates with it before I went home. But when I listened back to our conversation, I felt that I'd missed the opportunity to ask Dad some important questions about the past. So I went back, and here's some of what we talked about. What was Hong Kong like then when you were there, living there? It was, well, in my memory, amazing uh, because, you know, it was a time, we're talking uh, 1982 to 84, so almost three years, two and a half years, three years at a time when, yes, people were talking quite a lot, actually, by then, about 1997, Lam Kwai Fong, as they called it, um, and there was an area that was set up called Lam Kwai Fong, where all these clubs opened up and so on. But really, I mean, that was still a long way off in a way, but but everybody was talking about it. Um, so there was this, I think there was this sense of um, expat uh, um, feeling of, you know, we've got to enjoy this while it's still exists what's going to happen you know beyond that even though it was a fair as I say a fair amount of time away you know a little bit uh, you know of this sort of what I would call expat superiority which I didn't like at all because well as you know from my background um, we were brought up uh, um, in an expat community all around the world but we'd learned to respect people and so on. And so there was that sort of sense of superiority over the Chinese and stuff like that, which wasn't, wasn't such a great element. But there was so much else you know, going on in terms of you know, how affordable everything was. You know, things were so cheap that, uh, for example, you get, get your own suits made. But uh, for me, it was like moving into this era of, oh, it's a job and it's a, you know, being a banker. So everything was slightly formal, if you like. And so a lot of the clothes I wore were, were um, quite conservative. And uh, that's why this jacket that I've chosen means so much, because it, it's like this bridge, this link to, you know, how slowly I became disillusioned uh, eventually with the job, even though I still loved working out in Asia. Uh, but eventually, as you know, I resigned and I became an actor. And so as I left Hong Kong, there was I, you know, a mime artist, um, you know, in the Asian Arts Festival, starting to wear crazy clothing. Uh, you know, it's the David Bowie, uh, his his uh, um, later period, you know, the China Girl music and stuff like that. Somebody else I knew who's, who was in advertising uh, used me on billboards all around Hong Kong, you know, to advertise uh, certain products, or whatever, with me dressed up as a mime artist. So you never know it was me. But I've never um, heard that before. 
Yeah. Do you still have photos? Yeah, uh, I even... Um, uh, yes, I'll be able to find... Uh, do I have photos of that? No. Uh, what I would be able to find you is also in the movement piece I did for the Hong Kong Ballet. Um, so through another contact, uh, somebody heard about... Uh, saw, saw me in, in the mime troupe. Um, found out who I was and knew and as it, uh, you know knew me and uh, suggested um, that I meet these people from the Hong Kong Ballet. They were looking for a, a movement piece. Uh, I ended up being in this huge tree. So again, you wouldn't have known it was me, but it was in the you know proper Asian Arts Festival and everything. And so that that, that uh, transition, if you like, into becoming a more modern self and finding myself in a different way and realizing that the the, the, the banking uh, choice had. Not not being a mistake, but it just wasn't me. You talked about just then finding yourself or mm -hmm. feeling like you were starting to find your feet, mm -hmm. becoming an actor. What sort of person were you then? Because we've talked a little bit about, you know, you arriving in Hong Kong and you being a bachelor and you're earning good money for the first time. But mm. as a person, obviously I didn't know you then and I wasn't yeah. around, so what but were you like? I don't know why I feel perhaps slightly embarrassed to say this because, you know, I was young, uh, 22, 23, 24 years old, and uh, anybody at that age is still finding themselves, I, I would argue. But I, I think I felt more loose, if you like, and uh, uh, because I don't think I figured myself out for a long time. So I was trying different things, much as you would do maybe at school, but it sort of continued. So, um, you know, when I got this job, I was like, right now, you know, I need to be serious and formal or whatever. And I was ever so nervous. And going to Hong Kong, I, you know, I remember um, almost not being able to sleep at nights. But then, of course, the job turned out to be something pretty monotonous and boring and fairly easy to do. And so uh, as a person, I then shifted uh, literally within about three to six months to now feeling like, oh, I can do this job. It's not uh, so tough. Um, and then I, I went through this period of feeling really confident and uh, I was playing really good uh, um, or fairly good level of rugby. Uh, so that I felt good about myself uh, in that respect. And of course, as I said to you, money wise, there was no issue. And then, you know, then I'm social secretary of the uh, Hong Kong football club as well. So I'm getting to know lots of different types of people going on these rugby tours uh, uh, and you're know, meeting different people. And so I became this person that I almost didn't I hadn't recognised myself before of feeling confident, very clear about who I was and how I wanted to be. And then as I started to feel the uh, um, the sense of this is not the profession for me, I'm not enjoying this. Uh, and that disappointment started to create a sort of rockiness again within me. Um, it made me more anxious, if you like, about so what am I going to do with my life? And and so on. And that's why coming back to this jacket, this jacket is a lovely way of sort of linking back to those times, um, me much later in my life where I, you know, finally figured out what I wanted to do and I set up my own business, uh, and, uh, but on my own terms. And that's where I've been 26 years on my own terms. It's been just me, my, you know, as a one man band and uh, um, expressing myself. And so these different threads of me all come together into that jacket really. Um, yeah. Through the Wardrobe is a podcast series produced by me, Christy Calloway-Gale. Follow the series on Instagram and Twitter at Wardrobe Through to keep up to date with all the latest episodes. Music for the show is Storybook by Scott Holmes, provided by freemusicarchive.org.